0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's show is sponsored by Bob's Red Mill. With natural foods, they support organic, vegan, paleo, and gluten-free lifestyles. Learn more about their commitment to good food for all at bobsredmill.com slash podcast.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network.
3: Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. Today, I have a very special program. I have three extraordinary women guests who all play a role in bringing to life incredible food products. First... I'm going to talk to Tina Ulaki. Tina and I worked together at Food & Wine for decades, and Tina was known as the girl with the golden palate. We would send her to every single food show. And to this day, Tina goes around the country and goes to food shows, tastes food, and she has an encyclopedic memory of every flavor she's ever tasted, every product she's ever tried. And that means when Tina sees a trend, it's really a trend because she can tell you, oh my gosh, I ate that 10 years ago. That's not new at all. Or she can say, I've never, ever seen this before. So I feel like I have been exposed to more and more delicious, interesting new foods. And one of my guests later in this program has treated me to some fascinating things like lupini beans. You're going to hear more about that later. But first, Tina, how are you? Hi, Dana. How are you? I am excellent. I know that you have been out about eating um, and ta- testing new things at the Fancy Food Show and beyond. What have you seen that you haven't seen before?
4: You know, I wish I could say a lot. There are, um, like, in each of the categories that have been very, very popular in the past couple of years, there are a lot of new things. Um, the one thing that, um, like, everybody is touting, you know, they're either touting how much protein they have or that they're paleo or GMO-free or um, gluten-free, vegan. You know, there's a lot more screaming about that, I find, um, But in a lot of the categories, there's still new things, like fermented foods. You know, we've seen tons of krauts and pickles and kimchi. Now we're starting to see tonics and brines and pickle juices and lots of things pushing probiotics.
3: So do you feel like is that sort of fermentation 2.0, like we got used to kimchi and then we opened our minds and palates to even more fermented foods, or do you think it's part of the health curve or...?
4: I think it's a little bit of everything. Um, I also think maybe the juices and drinks and, you know, all the new beverages, um, I think that's probably part of it. You know, now they're um, kefir bases. But like the pickle juices and the brines, I haven't seen that many of them before. Um, Also, in the drinking department, the plant milks, don't seem to stop, you know, there's new macadamia milk, there's tiger nut milk, um, there are now um, a lot of creamers and, you know, more yogurts and more puddings, like all the new dairy or the milks, the M-Y-L-K-S, or now you have to go out and you have to specify that you actually want dairy milk or cow milk if you don't want soy or one of the other nut or seed milks.
3: So what, what's your, um, what are your thoughts about all of those um, alt milks? Are you a fan of nut milks, and how do you think those work in cooking?
4: I, um, I love the ones that are actually homemade. I haven't found any processed ones, and I, haven't, I certainly haven't tasted them as widely as I could have. Um, you know, I just find that they generally either have some additives or they taste like they've been in the bottle for a little while. Having made them fresh from either raw or roasted nuts, um, I know how incredibly amazing they can be, and I think they're incredible in things like panna cotta, in um, custards, all those kind of creamy things. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, of course, there's a lot to be said for cashews and cashews as an alt creamer and cashews as an alt cheese. Um, I think cashews do a wonderful job. Um, you know, I'm kind of an old-fashioned dairy girl. Um, <laughs> you know, I like my milk. I like my cheese. Um, but there are also, I think, a lot more um, nut and seed butters and nut and seed spreads. Um, those seem to be sort of exploding. Sort of, you know, they, they have their own category now at the Sophie Awards. They used to be in with many other things. And, you know, we're starting to see them in candies. You know, there's like coconut butter and um, almond butter and sesame seed butter um, and a lot of blended butters and spreads. One of the things that seems to be really exploding is um, in the meat category, sort of the alt to the, um, all the healthy things. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of charcuterie, for sure, and jerky and sausage, and now they're little snacking sausages. They're like all this grab-and-go meat that we you know that are, that's pretty high end from companies like Creminelli and Columbus which we didn't have before you used to be able to buy the sausages but not sort of in a grab and go um, and then there're the bone broths and now the pods of bone broth so and you can get like a Nespresso for bone broth and all the fats you know all wow, all the I didn't fats know you could get and an, and an espresso for um, things like that I mean I just think there's there's more meat than ever before in the specialty food category so, of all of
3: the things, this is such a plethora of, like, fascinating, delicious things that we now have access to that we didn't before. Um, what is your favorite, like, if someone's going to chase down three new products?
4: What that I would, think are awesome? Yeah, that you think are great. Um, okay. So, um, you know, there's, as you, I'm sure, see, there are Middle Eastern flavors everywhere. Um, you know, things like za'atar and rose and tahini and, like, everywhere you look. Um, there's a company called Le Mago. Bon Magot. Um, they won a whole bunch of Sophie Awards this year. Um, I think they have really, really great Middle Eastern products. They're Middle Eastern-inspired products. My favorite is the tomato chutney because I think it's the most versatile. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, it's sweet, but not too sweet. It has... Um, uh, white raisins and ginger and garam masala in it mm, and i think wow. what's so great about it is you can like up your grilled meat game with it really easily it's delicious with fried chicken you can pair it with salty cheeses or with cheddar or with goat cheese i think you, you know you can swirl it into yogurt and make a dip i think it's fantastic on anything so that would be one thing um the um, this is not brand new, but I, you don't see, you're starting to see it more now. There's a, a pistachio paste from a <clears throat> company called Nut Raw. Um, that's out of California. They're California-grown pistachios, and it's um, made with raw pistachios, mm-hmm. so it has an incredible, incredible pistachio flavor. That's one nut product, and another one is an almond spread um, from Gustiamo. But I've also seen it in some specialty food shops called um, Mandorla D'Abola. That's a sweetened raw almond spread. Wow! And that sounds I delicious. think these are. Both great. Well, of course, you can eat them off a spoon. You could spread them in a tart <laughs> shell, or stand a very tart. You could swirl them into brownies, or a coffee cake batter, or you could just slather them on a, croissant, a chocolate croissant or something to up your morning game. That
3: sounds incredibly indulgent and delicious. And is there one last one before I let you go?
4: Uh, definitely. Um, mm. Well, they're awesome. You know, caramel is such a huge category, and you know, it's just growing all the time, and they're malt caramels and coconut caramels. And they're these apple cider caramels that we had that were just incredible from a company called Little Apple Treats, oh. um, and they have one oh, with best, rose know? and cocoa nibs, and they're, they're just, if you want to bring somebody, if you have a caramel lover in your life, um, you know, I think these will totally, totally satisfy. They're, they're incredible. Um, I think they were a good food award winner. Maybe not for this particular flavor, but their caramels are incredible, and I think they really changed the caramel game up a little bit.
3: I, I feel like I wish it was Christmas because I feel like I want to buy each of these things and um, you know gift them to somebody. But I'll have to find uh, find another excuse. Tina, thank you as always for bringing so many delicious new ideas to the Speaking Broadly listeners. And I look forward to catching up with you soon.
4: Okay, me too. Thanks for having me, Dana. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks, bye. Bye. So Tina
3: always inspires me. When she talks about, you know, what you can do with pistachio nuts, I'm like, oh, I want to go make brownies now. And my next guest also inspires me to cook, but also inspires me to do good and do better in the world. Her name is Kim Young, and she has an unusual pedigree and also an unusual mission. She went to West Point, and then she joined the Army, where she um, detonated. No, you didn't. She searched for roadside bombs in Afghanistan. And when she came back to the U.S., she went to Harvard Business School. So i got to say, I don't know a lot of people with that those kind of credentials, and particularly not those credentials who uh, end up in the food world. But when Kim came back, she and some partners put together Rumi Spice. Kim, I'm so delighted to speak to you today.
5: Hi, Dana. It's really good to hear from you. Great to be on the show. Thank you. So... I'm curious, what
3: was your experience like in Afghanistan, in the Army, that made you want to go back and help the women farmers and help bring saffron to the U.S.?
5: As you mentioned, I was a route clearance platoon leader looking for roadside bombs, and it was a very specific mission and task. But I did have these moments of really uh, being able to interact with the Afghan women. Um, I actually had dinner and, that, and we all, in a big group of about 30 people, had dinner with a bunch of Afghan women who came to this one person's home to have this dinner. And I learned about what their lives were like, you know, what they really needed and wanted. And they were basically wanting more incomes. They wanted more job opportunities. They wanted to be able to provide health care and school supplies for their children. So at the end of the day, the feeling that I got when I came back from Afghanistan after my deployment was that the things that we were doing there as deployed soldiers weren't necessarily the things that needed to be done and we really believe at Rumi that the way to lay a foundation for peace in Afghanistan is through economic empowerment so starting businesses
3: I'm I'm curious about one thing though because you do work with women but there's some challenges to working with women in Afghanistan, right?
5: Yes um, there's definitely a culture there where it's uh, a bit, it can be more of a paternalistic um, culture as we see it in the Western world. And, and it's viewed a little bit differently there, where women are seen as the people who hold the reputation of the family. You know, they are to be cared for and protected. Um, and what has been really great about the saffron industry in particular is that women have a disproportionate, um, a disproportionately high percentage of work. You know, they're the ones who are the ones working in the fields for the saffron they have the dexterity to pick the saffron pistols um, from the the flowers to be able to process the saffron. And so most of the people working in the saffron industry are actually women in Afghanistan.
3: But I I seem to remember you you telling me once that the women had to, you had to ask permission to work with these farmers.
5: Did I make that that up? Yeah, absolutely. Like, when we first started our facility, what we had to do was to ask each one of the husbands and the farmers to uh, allow their women to come to one location and work all together. So we would not be able to do this if this was a mixed gender facility. It has to be all women. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, like, It worked out and we got everyone's permission. And this is a huge step in Afghanistan because these women are not only working outside their homes, which is possible and does happen but is not that often, but these women are also getting paid direct wages, which is huge and one good step towards economic empowerment. That's it.
3: That's extraordinary. Um, Being being in the military was... Must be tough, like i can 't um, put myself in your shoes and um, imagine you know um, looking for roadside bombs, but being an entrepreneur is also really tough. I imagine extremely um, different, but I 'm wondering w- where you find that commonality like what is it um, between those two things that where you feel like you learn something and they share something?
5: I think military veterans make the best entrepreneurs and they can start businesses. Because while I was a platoon leader in Afghanistan, we had very little resources, and we had to rely on each other in a team environment to make it work, make it happen, find external resources, and get the job done. And that's essentially what entrepreneurs do as well. Um, and And with our business at Rumi, we have found great partners in Afghanistan, and that's why we have a pretty defensible position, because nobody else can say that they have a solid supply chain in Afghanistan with Afghan partners who we trust
3: so uh, you were recently on shark tank which um was i imagine for a small business a very exciting moment but you also faced some really really tough questions about the viability of the business but you came out ahead um you got that investment from, from mark which was phenomenal um has it been difficult to raise money for this venture what has that been like
5: That's a great question, because you're right. A lot of people see a lot of the risks of this business, and they don't understand the business environment in Afghanistan. You know, they see and they experience Afghanistan just through the media, which is bombs and the Taliban, opium war, when in fact there's so much more to Afghanistan. And I think that the Sharks were able to see that. And we got a lot of tough questions, and at the end of the day the questions were more about you know, projected net income, which for any business, I would say, is really hard to predict. And so, you know, we really focused on gross margins. And gross margins are what's really going to start growing a business in the beginning. Um, So, you know, it is hard to raise money, but you always, it's also a blessing because you find the people who understand the business environment that you're working in and who get it and who would be more additive value to Rumi Spice than people who don't get it, right? And it's, not that necessarily. It's just you know, people have they bring different experiences and different networks to the table, and that goes for both sides, both from the business and the investors.
3: Well, I think your saffron is so delicious, and I and I hope that you know all of the people who've tasted it and even considered investing realize what a. Phenomenal high quality product you have. When you came to visit uh, me at Chef's Club, and we had the culinary director tasted Didi Elena, and we also had Alan Shaya there that day. You made an instant convert. But I'm curious, you know, you don't really come from a food background. How are you so sure that you are going to make great saffron or have these ladies pluck great saffron? Like, what made you believe in this product that is quite niche and quite expensive?
5: In the beginning, I honestly didn't have any idea. And as I started to show the saffron to folks like, you know, Danielle Ballou and Thomas Keller, and as you mentioned, like Elon Shaya and Zach Engel, they were the ones to tell me, no, you guys have really, really good saffron. It's so much better than all the other ones that we have been using. And it's much more higher crocin level content. Um, it's more floral. It's got a bit more astringency. And it imparts so much more of a deep, intense flavor to a dish, while the other ones, sometimes can be adulterated and it's, you know, it, it's cut sometimes with other things. So, you know, we do have a better product and it's validated both by the testing of the crossing levels and the freshness, and then secondly and most importantly by our very young customers. Um, and at the end of the day, it's the chefs whose palates, I mean, they're the ones who are the ultimate judge. And we, you know, we're the proud sacrum suppliers for Danielle, the French André Boulay, and a bunch of other great places um, because the quality is so high. It is
3: a, a really phenomenal roster. Uh, do you ever wish that you had chosen, you know, chocolate as a way to help Afghanistan, <laughs> or something that, you know, um, was less delicate or, you know, seemed like an easier road? Hmm, that's an
5: interesting <laughs> question because, you know, I saffron seems like actually the perfect. Product out of Afghanistan. It's like I mean, I'm not, I'm not
3: saying that Afghans it's, make chocolate. By the way, I'm just saying an easier product. Right? Yeah, least in
5: general. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think you know, chocolate is a little bit easier because it's more accessible, right? Most people do know chocolate. Everybody eats chocolate, um, but not everybody has heard of saffron, let alone has tasted it. And so, it's in a little bit of an uphill battle, but it's not. Um, it, I mean. There are definitely places in the world and communities, and um, where where saffron is a major part of the diet. You know, and it's in like the family's grocery list every single week. You know, in Persian cuisine, it's all over the place. In Indian cuisine, it's almost every single dessert. In French cuisine, it's in bouillabaisse. In Spanish cuisine, it's in paella. Um, And so, it's great in both sweet and savory. So, there's such a huge potential for saffron to really rock the world as the next you know fantastic spice it's got a lot of health benefits and you know turmeric which is a now everybody's um latte nowadays oh kim are you gonna tell spice.
3: us are you gonna tell us that saffron's the new turmeric that would be very exciting for you
5: <laughs> i was actually gonna say that turmeric was is actually known as poor man's saffron the
3: day. <laughs> so there's a, there's a phenomenal opportunity you are clearly an incredibly positive person and determined. But what in all of this has been really hard for you? Like, what have you had to overcome as you're growing this business? Like an, either an internal challenge or uh, that you feel you want to share with listeners? Because it is good to get lessons from people who've persisted, but also understand how hard it can be.
5: I didn't know that I could be an entrepreneur, and nobody does until you take that leap. And I just felt so passionate about what our mission was to connect these Afghan farmers to the market. And it, this is basically what drives me to keep moving forward every day, and everybody has heard stories about how hard it is to be an entrepreneur, to have a startup business. And I'm really proud to say that our whole team feels the same way, and we're driven by one vision and one cause. Is for to lay a foundation for peace through economic empowerment of right, the but, Afghan farmers through saffron. Right, but so what's, what's the hard oh. part?
3: What's the hard part? Like that's that's um, that's the good part. But like, what's the thing that you know? What's where's the heartache? Like where's the what? What have you overcome that is the big lesson here?
5: I think working in teams is really hard. You know, I thought I had it all down when I was a platoon leader in Afghanistan and in the army, but when you're in <clears throat> When you start businesses with your friends, which I very highly discourage, um, you know, you no matter what that relationship is going to change. So it's either going to get better or worse, or both, you know, depending on the day. And you really get to know the other person. And even if that person's not a friend, they're best—they're going to become basically like your wife or husband at work. You know, like you just become so close. You know each other's weaknesses and strengths, and you really learn a lot about yourself. Um, in the process. And I think that emotional um, journey of being an entrepreneur personally and working with a team is one of the hardest I've ever done. And also kind of the self-realization that I've never worked in another company before. The only experience I've ever had is in the army. How am I suited to, to be leading you know one of the top potentially like, you know luxury brands of saffron? You know, how do I do this? And, and so I ask myself every day if sometimes, like, should it be me continuing to do this and learning on a steep learning curve? Or should it be bringing in people who have more experience than I?
3: And it's, it's I guess it's good to, you know, wake up every day and evaluate what you're doing and push forward. And in your case, bring great great saffron to the world and also bring um, some, not just saffron, but now you're making some new products as well?
5: Yeah, we just started to make these gorgeous saffron gems. They're gummies. They're made of just pectin and sugar and saffron. Um, And so it's a really, it's our way of of having a gateway to saffron, if you will. Um, So a lot of people don't really know how to use saffron. They're not willing to spend a lot of money on it but they're willing to try and see what the taste is like. So it's a, it's a confection. And we also have spice blends and, and saffron butter.
3: Oh, right. Saffron butter, perfect for like a shellfish stew or for a lobster as we enter into lobster season. Well, with that Absolutely. sort of delicious thought, I'm going to say thank you, Kim, for joining us here on, on Speaking Broadly. And I look forward to more saffron in my future. And we're thank going to... You. Um, We're going to take a break right now, and then we'll be back with Jordan Gaspar. Jordan is an incredible investor in the food space. Just spending time with her, as we are going to do after the break, will make you feel like there is more amazing, natural, and innovative food out there than you ever knew before. So we'll be right back.
1: Red Mill has been milling whole grains since 1978. One of the nice things about Bob's Red Mill is it's the only that I know of national supplier that's easily available for lots of interesting, hard-to-get grains, And other seed products. So, you know, before Bob's Red Mill became widely available, you couldn't go get something like quinoa very easily, or you couldn't go get spelt easily in small quantities. But now you go to any one of the huge number of stores that carry Bob's Red Mill, and you can get smaller amounts of these really interesting, fun things to play with. Learn more at bobsredmill.com podcast. There's no need to.
3: Welcome back. You're listening to Speaking Broadly. And I am delighted to introduce my very next guest, Jordan Gaspar, an expert inv- investor in innovative, natural, and healthy foods. Her company is Excel Foods. And and, and, and uh, you had some sales reading. We did. Uh, we did. We just, um, I guess, it got
6: formally announced that we have a new investor. So we welcome Danone to our community.
3: So... We are talking at such a great moment because money seems to stick to you as flies stick to (laughs) flypaper because I think you have such a great eye for trends and such a great eye for interesting foods that will find an audience. You take some risks. I'd love to know um, what trends you're seeing and that are influencing what you're investing in right now. Um, Absolutely. I
6: think that we are looking at trends in two different ways. We're thinking a little bit about the macro trends. You know, clearly everything is about snacking right now. So we call it snackification. But we're also thinking about sort of broader distribution and how there's been a shift in how these products are now going to be consumed. You know, we're not only going to be buying natural products from Whole Foods, but we're going to start to see increasingly this year food service applications
3: and natural products going into different channels. Okay, so break that down for me, because yeah. channels and food service are, you know. Um, so what does that mean exactly? So that
6: means that when you fall in love with a fermented food, yes, like Tina was talking like about, Tina was talking about exactly, that you're not just going to see see it at whole foods in new york city but you're going to start
3: to see it at 7-eleven at 7-eleven Oh, i see so you're saying it's uh you're going to see better more interesting foods lower on the food chain like a someplace that would be quick like gas station convenience convenience store convenience stores yes um
6: i think that we're seeing that conventional retailers are being very aggressive in bringing in more innovative natural better for you products and so it's, it, the landscape has just changed pretty dramatically since, you know, we, we saw these products really
3: emerge, uh, you know, through Whole Foods and, and other natural outlets. And you are particularly focused on the natural, good yes. for you segment. And so in that segment, uh, what do you see? I mean, Tina was talking about some of the things that she saw emerging in the um, nut butters, for one, um, kefir. What are you seeing that's particularly interesting
6: so I think that we
3: agree with a lot of
6: what she was saying. I mean, I do think that there is certainly an abundance of protein solutions, portable protein in particular. We're seeing. And what is portable protein like? Is that it's like a protein drink, or okay. it's you know something we call pulse-based snacking, which is the lupini beans that you mentioned, which I love. <laughs> we'll we have to get you a year supply. <laughs> um, but it's also superfoods like mushrooms. Um, it's you know uh, it's things in general, children's nutrition is a big focus right now, children's snacking. I think that people are seeing the influence of organic baby food and realizing that those kids are getting older and that they've been trained to eat and only offered those foods. And so now you know we want to expand the offerings to them so that as they grow
3: older, they get to continue with all the good learnings. That makes so much sense, and I never really thought about it that way, but we're starting kids so young, mm-hmm. and the parents are trained to want to give their kids the natural best and snacking is such a potentially bad pocket like I was walking through um, the park and there were these yesterday, gorgeous day kids from school, they all had bags of Cheetos and it kind of broke my heart Um, all these little school kids. But what would you put in a lunchbox today instead? Because I know that's like one of your passions. It it is. So I think that there's a couple different
6: things. We're also seeing fresh foods are being, you know, clearly widely adopted as an alternative. But if you are going to go into snacking, we do say, you know, bean-based snacks, things like that, that we think are better for you. You know, for us, we've got a couple of companies that we've been pretty excited about. But I think it's also there's allergen-friendly foods, because we're thinking a lot in schools about... You know, nut-free zones, and so people, even if they are going to give their kids some of those traditional favorites like a cookie, they're thinking about what's a nut-free option that you know they can are actually allowed to put in the backpack. Um, Better for you bars, Uh you know. know, There's there's a couple of different ways that the bar category is changing. Um, Obviously, the the protein influence is one thing, but we're seeing the emergence now of fresh bars, you know, where it's actually. In, in the refrigerated set. And you've invested in a fresh bar. We did. It's actually called Fresh Bar. <laughs> <laughs>
3: so you are the category leader, namer, and in provider. Fresh bar. <laughs>
6: <laughs> so, um, but I think that, you know, the idea is is that we want better for you, higher
3: quality foods for our kids to be stacking on the go. Now, you also invested in Exo, which uses cricket flour and Okay, Uh, if I was in that room with you and we were talking about whether this was going to be a big thing or not a big thing, I think I would have been like, I don't know. I mean, how did you know that something like Exo would be sort of more than acceptable but really embraced?
6: I think that you you don't know, but you have to invest into the opportunity and the chance and and innovation more generally. And I remember when we were thinking about Exo, which was our first investment, We realized how important it was to take those chances, because EXO is what brought us for Sigmatic, which is a mushroom-based coffee, and Crunchsters, which is a a sprouted mung bean snack. And all of that exciting innovation comes from choosing founders who are doing something really innovative and disruptive. The EXO guys happened to be extremely sophisticated um, and educated, and they had... Uh, long studies from the UN about sustainable protein, you know, and, and obviously insect protein, right. so that
3: swayed us. Um, <laughs> but I feel like, again, I would be like, that's nice, I love all your research, and it tastes fine, but, like, bugs, we are so bug-phobic.
6: We are um, bug-phobic, but you know, I think that it is getting bug-better.
3: Bug-better. Um. <laughs> but I,
6: I do also think that um, it, it companies like XO are gaining... Uh, gaining the the endorsement from investors and consumers is what allowed a lot of those more innovative products to come into the market and people to take chances. And so I think that it's it's harder in certain ways to be what we call a Me Too product, where you see the same thing again and again. If it's highly differentiated and it's something like insect protein or a mung bean, you know, people really get excited and they, they build an association with something new that's coming.
3: What you're saying makes so much sense to me. What Tina and I saw at Year after year at Food and Wine was product extensions. So you had a chocolate, and then you had a chocolate with caramel, and then you had a chocolate with peanut, caramel, sea salt, and and essentially businesses that were really solid because their um, their first product was fantastic, but then they just kept pushing the idea further and further. And what we were looking for, because we knew the consumer was, was something that they had never tried before, which would fall into like a it is. And but I think that the
6: platform bar. appeal is important. Right. Because so you want to have something new like the mushroom coffee, but you also want you want the platform to exist beyond that one isolated product. And what does that mean? So I think that, you know, for us, we look at Four Sigmatic as a mushroom coffee and we say this is a broader disruption to coffee. Got it. You know, it, it's not just mushrooms. Right. This is a better-for-you, efficacy-based mushroom. It's mushroom that gives you, with a performance enhancer, it's mm-hmm. mushrooms that help you sleep or for immunity. So the idea, though, is that we're choosing something that has a broader appeal than just sort of one specific use. Um, I do think that um, there's sort of two different ways to approach it. You can kind of come in and say the base ingredient is chocolate Mm -hmm. or the base ingredient is mung beans Mm -hmm. and then you can also look at it from the platform side and and people
3: do it both ways that's i've never heard that i'm I'm learning so much here people i I hope you are too because it's it's just fascinating to me i feel like there's been um a lot of talk about in investment and vcs are getting really interested in the food space and the restaurant space you know more than more than ever. So I know that you've seen something like 2,500 different um, people who've brought you their products and said, you know, pick me, pick me. Um, how do you choose among the vast variety? So, I mean, I, in, in addition to the program, which you've just discussed or. I think that the, the thing that's important to understand is we are investors.
6: And so we do have a little bit of a sort of formulae criteria. And it starts with who are the people? do we want to partner with them? Do we believe in them? Do we think that they can build a business? It doesn't matter that it's hard. And I I very much respect, you know, when you hear Kim talk about how hard it is to be an entrepreneur, you know, resilient, relentless, resourceful people will be able to build businesses. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's about the people first. I think that beyond that, you look at the market opportunity and you say, is this a a business
3: capable of being a hundred million dollar brand? And that's your marker. And it seems to me, with the few people that I've talked to in this space, that is the marker. Is that because that's the point at which you can sell it to um, a bigger company? Or is that, is there, why is that a magic number? I think that that's a number that was historically used because it was a number that.
6: That the strategics got interested in the company because okay. they felt like they could buy it and integrate it into their platform. I think that that's starting to shift. I think that the opportunity needs to be there, but I do think we're seeing corporates come and buy, buy these you know natural products earlier. Uh-huh. You know, you see the Sir Kensington's acquisition by Unilever. You know, that was not a brand who had yet achieved you know nine figures in revenue. It was smaller. And very much an entrepreneurship story, but there was a belief in the future
3: of the business and, and how Unilever could be a good partner. And that if it wasn't a hundred million, that's you know, it, it would be to them. It would be to them. Fascinating. Okay, I have to stop using the word fascinating. You know, I listen to myself and I'm like, stop using the word fascinating. Uh, so, what about the um, the flavor profile? Like, are you picky about the taste? Like, do you feel like you have a I call Tina, you know, the girl with the golden palette. Like, do you feel like your team has a golden palette and you'll go in and say, you know what? Like less, you know, less sugar, more salt. So it it has to taste good. Mm -hmm.
6: You know, that that is a baseline expectation. We've got very good taste testers in our office, and you got to meet some of them. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And we take a lot of pride that we, we like everyone to be able to give feedback. I do think that we also recognize that you can improve things. And sometimes, you know, the first iteration of a product won't be the one that ultimately is built. Um, so for us, you know, you can tweak the formula and add a little bit more salt or maybe sweeten it up a little bit with something natural. But I think that there has to be sort of the assumption that it tastes good or that it was, it is a quick fix to make it taste the way that you think it should.
3: I just think the interesting thing about taste is that I could taste something and you could taste something and we would taste completely different things. And so with Tina, I always knew that whatever she tasted was what sort of people would universally taste and there was a purity to that. But there's so much, you know, there's so much opinion. Um, but having good tasters in the office, I guess, is.
6: But it's true that I think natural products in particular, it's very subjective because the, the palate is changing, you know, and what could be taste good to you or I, you know, wouldn't necessarily fit with somebody who is a different you know, demographic from a different place. I and mean,
3: you just never know. I mean, talk about kombucha, which I loathe. Uh, I was wrong. <laughs> Clearly, I'm not meant to be an angel investor in food products. But um, I think just that flavor profile is way too funky for me. Um, and yet, there's a gigantic market. Do you think, you just mentioned you know, demographic. You are interested in a younger demographic, not just kids, but more a millennial group. Do you think that there's a millennial flavor palette that is different from um, an older generation?
6: So, um, yes and no. I think that the millennial demographic clearly has a different set of expectations about what they're buying, but I also think we can't discount the baby boomers, who are Yay. looking, <laughs> yeah, no, who are looking for natural alternatives, you know, to, to traditional medical solutions, who are looking to extend their their enjoyment of life and their quality of life by eating better and taking care of themselves. And and it's something that's becoming sort of widespread. They have disposable income. They have the ability to invest into these products and bring them into their sort of day-to-day life.
3: Um, it always I, seemed a little odd to me to not focus on such a gigantic group of people who really are going in, you know, they're in the grocery store or a Seven Eleven with great frequency. But when you say you think that the millennials might have a, a different perspective, what do you think that is? So, our expectations so is said.
6: millennials um, are definitely an audience that are, are very built on, on lifestyle identification. They want to believe in the brand. They want to be the brand. And I think that, you know, one of the things that we're seeing that's a big change in our industry right now is a lot of them are starting food brands. They were historically starting tech companies or, you know, life science businesses. And, and for them, they fall in love with an ingredient or they develop an, a a, a proprietary process or they just you know really want to build a platform and they decide to direct those efforts into something that they love and that they they can enjoy every day. And do you have an example of one of those in your portfolio? We have lots of examples. You of <laughs> Are I we mean, staring I, at the Brahm, yeah? yeah Brahmi's a perfect example. You know and, and, and you look at Aaron, you know, he definitely um, he is the exact kind of entrepreneur that would have been highly successful in tech. But I think that that's that is a big part of you know sort of the evolution of the industry is that really smart capable people are prioritizing food right
3: now well you're one of them that's such a great segue thank you for that uh so how did you walk into this right because you are a lawyer by training right and um reformed (laughs) (laughs) but you um you know and you had some interaction with food but decided that's not what you wanted to do so how did you end up here so um, I think that you know, we all fall in love with food
6: at an early age, and you either get bitten by the, the food bug <laughs> uh, um, or, or, you, or you enjoy it and don't make it a big priority. But for me, I was always the person who wanted to try that new restaurant or who wanted to try that new product. Um, my partner and I were introduced, Lauren, um, in October 2012, and we really wanted to get involved working with early stage packaged food and, and beverage companies. But at the time, there was no venture units that were launched from the strategics. Um, there were, When you say the strategics, just like, That's like a General Mills okay. or, um, you know, uh, I, I think, I would say General Mills is probably very relevant because it's very visible, or a Kellogg's. Um, you know, I think that there were a couple that were operating, Coke had one, um, but I think that we were seeing that... There was a shift in that there was a lot of great companies launching. There weren't a lot of investors. You know, the investors were really focused on the companies that were bigger. You know, say, $10 in sales, and they had national distribution. Um, So we really wanted to work with smaller companies, and we wanted to specifically work with
3: them, not just invest in them. And you started with a lot of confidence and not a lot of money and a website. We started...
6: With a $10,000 investment (laughs) off of a Greenwich Village dining room table. We flew all over the country. We had, I remember, an 11-hour round trip in the car to go to Boston during the worst traffic ever just to ask people to get involved. And we we wanted to find people who give their time. We wanted to find great companies. We wanted to find people who would invest in us. You know, we are entrepreneurs. And so for... Us, you know, that's, I think, a part of how the Excel Foods story is that we are a startup
3: fund for startups. And we take a lot of pride in that. And just to bring some reality to that, when you go and visit the Excel Foods office, like scuzzy doors, scuzzy stairs, (laughs) um, (laughs) perfectly lovely offices. But um, you really, you know, you say it, but you also live it from the dining room table to, you know, very pleasant, but guzzy door offices well so i think that it
6: we will um we were all will grow ourselves i think this is
3: keep in mind this is our third office
5: this is better than the other two
6: so we're happy to have our own office and so for us you know um To give context, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs will appreciate this. When we first built Excel, we had no travel budget. We didn't know that we would be getting on a plane as often as we did. And so it's it's hard to, you know, sort of balance growth and prioritizing your infrastructure costs. You know, and I think for us, we always prioritize the people and we prioritize, obviously, the investments in the brand. But, you know, for us, the office was... Uh, a big expense that we've always tried to maintain so uh, excel will get a a better office but right now we certainly have a scuzzy door yeah
3: (laughs) and a very clean table and lots of good products so exactly um, now uh you had a ton of mentors like if you go on the website i know that you started the company with a lot of mentors in order to be able to tap into their expertise and advice. And I'm just wondering, like, what is the most sort of meaningful and lasting of that advice that we got, from, that them got or that, from them? I think it's to to take
6: that feedback. You know, I think that, and it's to be open-minded and there's a phrase called coachable. And I think that we ourselves always tried and still try to be coachable because, you know, it's always important to continue to, to grow your business and to better it. And you can't be afraid of seeing the challenges. You know, and And listening to Kim talk, you know, I think that it's the only way you will be the best version of yourself and the best business that you can be is if you're willing to identify the problems, work on them, and to ultimately solve them, and then to move on to sort of the next set of challenges. And did you bring an inspirational quote? Um, I did bring an inspirational quote. So... um, I, I'm sure you guys all know about a, a man named Jeff, Jeff Bezos. Um, and he once said, a brand for a company is like a reputation for a person. You earn reputation by trying to do hard things well. And I guess you do that every day. I think we try to, very much.
3: Uh-huh. Um, so, your kids, you've got. Two, I'm just going to guess they're adorable because you're adorable, two adorable kids. And you have this big job that's really consuming. How do you work that out? Because as we know, we hear so much about how difficult it is to both run a business and have real family life. It is really challenging. And I think that one of the things that started to make
6: it easier is that I stopped being afraid to say that out loud. And I think that it's important for every parent, not just a woman, you know, to acknowledge that balancing your work priorities with your family priorities is, is harder and gets harder as you, you want to be the best person you can and be a superstar at work, but also a superstar at home. So for me, you know, I feel really lucky. I have an amazing husband who, you know, is very much my, my partner in, in both home and work because, you know, he has to, not, not working with me, but he has to believe in what I'm doing and he has to support it and he has to make those compromises with me like I have to do with him. Um, I think that my kids are also very proud of what I do and, I, and you know, they're people who don't really bring their work home. And I don't know if, for me, it would have succeeded as well as it did if I hadn't brought it home. You know, I'm doing this for my kids. You know, my, my kids have only eaten these foods. They don't... They don't know what Cheetos are, sorry, <laughs> but, you know, th- this is my daughter reaches for crunchters when she goes for a snack or for an element, you know, and, and I take a lot of pride in that, that I, I really have brought this into my home. But they also get excited when I bring in a new product that isn't in the supermarket and they get to say, mommy, can we make the package, you know, purple? um, which they're giving you some feedback they use the words and everything they They say you know this product tastes good or this brand good so um but how old are
3: they for the listeners six and four yeah
6: um but i do think that you know i take a for me you know i was really um personally struck when we invest in a company called kid fresh which is a frozen foods business um which is directed for children um it's better for you sort of traditional favorites hidden vegetables vegetables, white meat-only chicken, chicken nuggets and chicken sticks and fish sticks and meatballs. And all of my friends came out of the woodwork and were telling me that they were consumers of this product, that it changed their life, and you know, it's not something that people talk that openly about is their consumption of frozen foods, because we Absolutely. all want to, to do the best we can to provide fresh meals. But it made me so proud that we could work with a founder that was doing something that all of
3: my friends were already buying also really interesting that it's sort of like when you you know have an ugly disease and then you find out oh my god you've all <laughs> like gone through this and no one's ever confessed before um, and, and i think that's one of the challenges of the category you know in frozen um, i think that people should really get with the frozen program because i think that when um fruits or vegetables are frozen on the farm they retain so many more nutrients and uh, It's really a phenomenal option for speed, for health, as long as you're having the right, you know, food that was grown the right way in the first place. And I feel like there's a tremendous opportunity in Frozen in the future if we can explain to people, like, why it can be so great. Particularly
6: with kids. I mean, affordable nutrition for children where working parents can have a meal solution and they can feel good about it instead of getting their kids fast food is something that we believe in, in, in. Believe in more than anything. You know, for us, we've been unbelievably surprised by the retail um, sort of support for this company. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got nas- a national footprint with Walmart and Target. Um, you know, but it's it's for us also. It's really resonating that this is a meal solution that working parents we
3: talk about that that balance, like that they can provide their kids. So. It sounds like you have a you have a great partner, you have a great husband, you have great kids, um, but I'm always looking for that thing. It, it's got to have been hard all the travel, and there must be some uncertainty, even though this money does seem to gravitate towards you as though you're a spinning wheel. But <laughs> um, what has been the hard thing that you've had to overcome? Like what? I, I think that we really
6: were ourselves. Um, unbelievably humbled and surprised by the growth of Excel. You know, we just launched in January 2014 formally, and so we've grown a lot to now be sort of a $35 million fund with great partners like you mentioned. Um, you know, but I think that for us, you know, it is always how do you prioritize you know your spend and your budget and your investment and yeah, I mean the personal pain like I, that's a business pain but so on the personal pain it's it's hard you know it's it's hard to you know we travel almost every week so you, Do know, you really you know we'll take breaks um i think that i've learned to get um, unapologetic for the times that I'm really investing, you know, with my family and, and there's a lot of people who get to have conference calls with me with my kids in the background mm-hmm. um, but I think that, you know, there's there were a lot of pain points along the way for me, you know, trying to establish myself as um, as as someone to you know, sort of believe in and yet I was on the floor of my closet taking a call <laughs> with my, my kids in the other room because it was too loud, you know, so I, I think that Um, there's just, just like, a practical everyday challenge with small kids at home. Um, I think it's also it's really important, you know, I've learned to, to take those moments to say all the things out loud to my kids because, you know, they do miss me at all the events. You know, I, I go to as much as I can, but I, I physically can't always be at things. And so, you know, my husband and I have gotten better about, you know, doing the FaceTime in for a parent-teacher conference if somebody has to be away, you know, and I, I, I'm very grateful that our, our school isn't judging us too much. <laughs> but I do think it's it's trying to you have to be really good at planning. And yeah. I plan very far out. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of support from my family and my friends. But I think that our team at work also understands that my kids are always in and out of our office, you know, and, and there's just got a lot of flexibility that, that I need all around.
3: So, what woman would you say you admire in this space who really has inspired you? You know, it was, it's, it's an easy one for me.
6: It's Denise Morrison. You know, I think that I look back. And she is. And she happens to be, you know, uh, um, the Campbell Soup Company, the CEO of the Campbell Soup Company, who is also um, the primary investor in Acre, which is one of our investors. So I feel very lucky because they've since invested. Um, But I think that I look at um, Denise Morrison, sort of how she approached us as something that was truly unique. And in 2014, when nobody had heard of us, she reached out to us. And she got on the phone and said, would you, you know, just tell us what you're doing. Tell us what you're building. You know, what can we do to help you? Um, We want, you know, the Campbell Soup Company wants to be supportive of this. And, you know, it was, nobody had heard of us. Nobody knew about us. We had invested in crickets and mushrooms, (laughs) you know. But I was really inspired by somebody with that level of prestige in their career taking time to, to not only, you know, believe in the platform and its relevance, but to believe in Lauren and me. Well, that
3: is a beautiful way to conclude today's Speaking Broadly. Jordan, thank you so much for coming and, and um, first sharing your phenomenal products, but your time and your story that I think is so inspiring. Um, with the speaking broadly listeners, if people want to um, find your foods where, or follow you, where can they find you? Uh,
6: so you can find me on Twitter,
3: uh, JM Gaspar sixteen. You can find
6: Excel Foods on on Twitter and Instagram, um, and you can find our products all over uh, (laughs) fresh direct whole foods um, you can find them at the airports so Wegmans so please definitely check out our brand if you
3: uh, if you go to the airport and you see the SIBO you know C-I-B-O and you look it is as if it was the display for Jordan's company because there's so many great things that uh, um, are there from her so if you want to find me you know where to find me by now, I hope. It's at FWScout and at Speaking Broadly. And I want to thank my engineer today, David Tattashore, who is awesome handling the phones and everything else. And thank you for listening. If you have any suggestions, questions, comments, please reach out to me. I love um, interacting on social. And I look forward to bringing, being, being back with you again next week. Have a great week.